Well, now there are questions, and there are questions. Uh, And some questions, of course, are quite trivial and uh, don't need to occupy our attention for very long. But other questions can be absolutely critical, can't they? You married men here this morning, you were asked a question, however many years ago it was. uh, Wilt thou have this woman to be thy lawful wedded wife? Or words to that effect. And your answer to that question changed your life, didn't it? Uh, and uh, we were asked a, a question in 2016, and look where that got us. Um, no need to say much more about that this morning, except to say that sometimes questions and answers have consequences. And here's a question asked of the Lord Jesus by this young man that is absolutely critical, of profound significance. He said to him, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What shall I do to inherit eternal life? It would be difficult, wouldn't it, this morning to think of a more important question than that. Eternal life. It's one of the great dreams of humanity that life can somehow be prolonged. I trained as a research chemist. My Professional predecessors were called alchemists, uh, and they spent a lot of time looking for two particular things. Uh, They looked in the first place for a substance they called the philosopher's stone, which would turn base metals like lead into gold. They didn't find that. But also they were in pursuit of a potion that they called the elixir of life, a a, a, a drink that prolong life indefinitely. And they didn't find that either, but they found a great many other things. So it is one of those things, isn't it, that uh, I think you know, human beings have dreamed of and worked for. Even today, there are scientists seeking to prolong life, doing experiments with mice and so on, to try and halt the aging process to see how life might be prolonged. It's a great dream. It's a very attractive proposition, isn't it? Life that goes on and on and on. But there is a sting to the tail. Um, I don't see as well as I did, and I don't hear as well as I did. Uh, And if I have to bend down and pick something up, it takes me a little while to get up now, and that's not going to get any better, is it? Uh, And therefore, the notion that life might go on and on with this steady deterioration is not that attractive, is it? That's not the sort of life that we long for, is it? Even if the dream of uh, a a long life, uh, even everlasting life, is not that sort of life that's very appealing And, of course, when the Bible talks about eternal life, it doesn't mean life like that. Jesus said, I'm come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. There's an awful lot in those two words, more abundantly. Uh, And worth a lot of thought as to what Jesus might mean by this abundant life. But at the very basic, surely it's life that is entirely completely satisfying and rich and full and without those 
ills and troubles that spoil our lives as they are at the moment. That's what the Bible means by eternal life. And that's what this young man was after, eternal life. So it makes the question incredibly important for us. It's a very familiar story, I think, the story of this young man who came to the Lord Jesus. And sometimes I think the more familiar a story is, the less likely we are to actually think about some of its implications. I thought about this well-known story and, and it struck me that there are some elements about this story that we might easily pass over. Uh, There are some troubling elements to the story and there certainly are some challenging aspects. So what is disturbing about uh, what happened, this encounter that Jesus had with this young man? What is disturbing Well, I think there are several things. First of all, I noticed this, that this young man did everything right. He did everything right. He had, it's plain that he had an impeccable moral life. He was was chaste. I don't think there's any reason to doubt his sincerity when Jesus uh, mentioned some of the commandments to him. I don't think there's any question to doubt his honesty that I've kept all these things from my youth. So he was chaste, he was peaceable, he was honest, trustworthy, and he was respectful. You would have liked him. I think you would have liked him had you come across him. I think you would have thought you could have trusted him. And he wanted the right thing. Surely there's no more important thing to desire than to inherit eternal life. And he came to the right person. Instinctively, he recognized he was surrounded by religious experts. But instinctively, he recognized the person to go to to get the answer to his question is Jesus Christ. Comes to the right person Uh, And he comes with humility and respect. He kneels before him. Good master treats him with reverence, uh, recognizing in whose presence he has come. He does everything absolutely right. And that is an important thing for us to think about because we recognize that wrong things deserve judgment. And we know plenty of people who've done very, very many wrong things. And we could easily put them into that category uh, of those who really deserve the most severe judgment of Almighty God. When you put Hitler there, you put Stalin there, you can think of many characters who deserve punishment for their sinfulness. We are very reluctant to put ourselves in that category. Got a strange way in which our minds can easily recognize that wrongdoing deserves punishment, but we're not quite in that category because we're respectable folks. You're all very nice people. (laughs) 
Uh, and it's a privilege to be with you. I, I often think this. Sometimes uh, on, on, on the television I see reports of public meetings where somebody stands before a group of people and, uh, and delivers some sort of message, some sort of address, and all sorts of weird things go on. People are talking with each other. Some get up and go out. Others are heckling the poor fellow. And I stand here, and you're listening to me. Thank you. <laughs> Quietly. And I, and I appreciate that. I don't, I, don't see, I don't see why any preacher has actually the right to expect that. But you're nice people. And, uh, and so you're quietly sat in your rows, just listen to me as I hold forth here this morning. You're nice people, nice people, respectable folks. And here's a young man who tells us that nice people go to hell. That is troubling, isn't it? And then, and then I notice in the, in the story what must strike us as a strange answer that the Lord gives to him for his question because how how does Jesus respond to him? Well, he just recites some of the commandments to him. It's almost as if Jesus is saying to him, look, you keep these commandments of God and that is the way to eternal life. So what it appears like on the face, it is a strange answer. I don't know about you, Roger, but I've never been stopped in the street by a stranger and asked, how can I inherit eternal life? That's never happened to me. How would I answer a question like that? If it ever did happen, how, what could I answer? I could only say one thing, couldn't I? I could only say, look, you must believe on the Lord Jesus Christ And you won't perish, you'll have everlasting life. That's all I could say if ever I was asked that sort of question. But that's not what Jesus says. (laughs) He doesn't say that to this young man. He doesn't say, look, believe on me. That is the way to inherit everlasting life. But he recites some of the commandments. It's puzzling, isn't it? I don't know what you think of that. But you see, the Lord Jesus has a great advantage over me if I was ever asked that question because Jesus knows this young man's heart. And and I don't have that insight. So I have no alternative if I'm ever asked that sort of question. I have never been asked it, not in those terms. Oh, there have been asked questions that I suppose are rather like it. And I have only one answer I can give because I can only recite the gospel to them. Jesus knows this young man. And so his answer is very, very different. But it's not what you might expect. And there's something to think about there, isn't there? And then then I I, I noticed this too about this incident. And this is a troubling thing. It only takes one thing to keep you out of heaven. Because Jesus said, one thing you lack. There's one thing that's missing. And it only takes one thing. There's a, there's a road 
into Huddersfield that I, I travel quite often. And it's one of those roads where it seems like every hundred yards or so there's one of those wretched yellow things. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? And I'm here this morning. I'm amongst friends. I have to make a free and full and frank confession. I got caught once. And I had to pay the penalty. But I think this, you know, all the times I go down that road and keep within the speed limit... Why don't those cameras record every time I keep the speed limit and set it against that one transgression? Why don't they do that? Well, you know that's not the way it works. <laughs> Just take one thing and oh, boy, my record, not breaking the speed limit, much, much worse than that. My record, if it only takes one thing, then what hope can I ever possibly have of inheriting eternal life? You know how how Jesus puts the obligation on every single one of us as created beings. You are to love the Lord your God with heart, mind, soul and strength and your neighbor as yourself. And you are to do that for every single moment since you first drew breath in this world. That's how you are to live. Well, how does your record stand up against that? And it only takes one thing. And there's such a multiplicity of errors and transgressions and law-breaking that's part of my record. And I find that a disturbing thought. Do you not? And then, then, look at this story again. I just notice the result. Jesus says, one thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come, take up the cross and follow me. And he was sad at this word and went away sorrowful. It's really, really sad, isn't it? The outcome, as far as we're aware, unless things changed and there's no record of this, But if by the grace of God you and I get to heaven, we're not going to see him there. That's tragic. So, so sad, isn't it? It reminds me of another incident in the life of the Lord Jesus where he's got great crowds following. He's flavor of the month. But then as he begins to explain what he means and what he's here for. They can't take it. And they begin to melt away into the distance, this great crowd that have followed him. One after another, they all go, they all go. And, and there, is, there is a real note of pathos, isn't there? Uh, as Jesus just turns to his disciples and looks at them and says, are you going to go as well? Thankfully, Peter, speaking on their behalf, says, Lord, where can we go? (laughs) There's nowhere else to go. 
You have the words of eternal life. But you can't avoid that sad aspect of that encounter. And it's here. There's a sadness about it because the outcome is absolutely tragic. Will you also go away? You go out that door this morning, my friends, and you'll go away from this building. But will you just allow me to put this question to you? Because I don't know you all, and I certainly don't know your hearts. Will you also go away from the Saviour and therefore lose eternal life? These are some of the disturbing things this, this familiar incident just tells me this morning, tells all of us things to think about. And, and then not only is it disturbing and troubling, but it's also extremely challenging, isn't it? Because, you see, effectively, Jesus is telling this young man and us this morning the way to heaven. I would equate eternal life with heaven. I think that's a fair um, synonym for eternal life. That's what heaven is, isn't it? The new heavens, the new earth, the eternal life which is to come. And, uh, and Jesus says to him, you must follow me. Take up your cross and follow me. You could you could summarize, couldn't you, the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus in this way. You could say he is one who came from heaven and he returned to heaven. But the way to heaven for the Lord Jesus was by the way of Calvary. And he says to this young man and he says to you and me, this what you must follow me. And you will have to go the same way that I went. Because there is no other way to heaven. If you will follow me, this is what it means. And it's at that point, of course, this young man couldn't take it any longer. Have to be by way of the cross. It has to be by the way of self Sacrifice. It doesn't sit easy with us, does it? Uh, I mean, Jesus is sometimes he, he's 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 quite brutal. Really, really in your face as he lays out what it means to follow him. If anyone comes to me, he says, does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters. What earth does he mean by that? And his own life also. Here's a young man who was respectful to his parents according to God's commandment. And Jesus said there might be a situation where you're going to have to hate your family for my sake and the gospel's. Because if you're not prepared to do that, you cannot be my disciple and it's just straight down the line, isn't it? You cannot be my disciple. What is a disciple? A pupil, a follower. You have to follow him to get to glory. And this is the way. You can't 
Jesus says, unless. And as if that's not enough, he goes on to say, and whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Cannot. Not, you're going to struggle a bit if you're not prepared to do this. You can't be my disciple. You can't get to heaven. That's what he's saying in effect, isn't he? Unless you're prepared to bear your cross. I'm indebted to John MacArthur for this thought, but sometimes, you know, we we can really trivialize this. Um, You've got an awkward neighbor or a cranky boss or whatever. Oh, that's the cross I have to bear. And and that that just empties the whole significance of what it means to carry a cross. It just dilutes it to make it meaningless almost. A little trial, tribulation in all, that's the cross I have to bear. Lived in first century Jerusalem, and you saw a man walking through the street with a cross on his back. You knew exactly what that meant. It didn't matter what he was, it didn't matter what he'd done, it didn't matter what his achievements were, that man was on his way to his death. And Jesus says, that's what it means to follow me. Because that's the way I went. And if you're not prepared for that, you cannot be my disciple. Uh, And then he rounds it all off in this, this really, really challenging and disturbing discourse. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. And that's exactly what he said to this young man. Now, how are you going to get head around that? I mean, how are we going to cope with that? I mean, just, just say on this table here, uh, your bank books, your car keys, your deeds to your house, everything that you possess on that table, could you walk away from it? Really? I, I, I need to be honest with you. I don't think at this moment I've got a, a, a nice house. God has been good to us. I've got a lovely wife. I've got delightful family. I've got lovely grandchildren. Wonderful riches God has given to me. Could I walk away from them? And, and to be honest, I don't know at this moment if that challenge was put to me that I could. Somehow we've got to get our heads around this because there's no escape from it. It's implicit in the story of this rich young man, isn't it? Somewhere we've got to come to terms with what Jesus is actually saying to us. Uh, and, well, I, I've, I've found a way that I think I can just handle it, but, and I don't know if this will be of help to you, but... Um, this, is, this gives me some, some help in, in this challenge, which is terrifying, isn't it? I mean, for one thing, you can find a certain relief in this, can't we? Actually, in, in his ministry in this world and subsequently throughout the centuries, there are aren't actually that many people who 
have actually been asked to leave everything to follow him. There have been some. I mean, Matthew, we're told, left all to follow the Lord Jesus. But on the other hand, there's Joseph of Arimathea. He apparently is a rich man. I don't read anywhere that he was told to give it all up, to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus. And, and we'll find a strange comfort in that. I'm not so certain that we can that we can just stop there at that point, but you'll find a strange comfort in that. There haven't been that many. There have been some throughout history who actually have left everything for Christ's sake. And of course there have been those who actually, for the gospel's sake, for Christ's sake, have paid the ultimate, made the ultimate sacrifice. And we thank God for those martyrs. But, but, and there are some today who are having to face this particular challenge in its, in its real form. But you and I, in our relatively comfortable, prosperous Western lifestyle, have you ever thought about this? Could you do it? If Jesus asks you to do it? Well, I, 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 I think of it like this. Uh, and I, I recognize that what the gospel means is, and it's the sort of thing that Jesus is saying to this young man and is saying in this passage in Luke's gospel, he's saying that, that to follow me is a total commitment to me. A total commitment to me. So therefore, from here on in, if you're following me, from here on in, all that you have is mine. You hand it all over to me. But he knows, he knows our weaknesses, he, he knows our frailties, he's so gentle and kind and tender. So he, he says, all these things are mine. They're mine, but I will lend them back to you. But if at some time in the future I ask them for back from you, you must be prepared to do that. But in the meantime, I lend them to you. Now I don't know if that I, I don't know if that's that's a legitimate way to deal with what I think is a massive, massive challenge that we, we, we really struggle with. I struggle with anyway. But it is a big ask, isn't it? But set against the ask, leave all to follow me. Carry your cross and follow me. Even your family might have to take a second place to me. Set against it are the rewards, the compensation, because even Jesus says, if you have to give me everything back that is mine anyway in the first place, because I've only lent it to you, what you'll get in compensation far outweighs anything that you've lost. You'll have me. You'll have me. You'll have me for time and eternity. You'll have eternal life. You'll have heaven. That's what you get. And, and if, if you can just 
look at these scenes from that sort of perspective. That whatever you have is, is, is his gracious gift to you, but they are gifts and they're only lent to you for the time being. You can see things from that perspective. Maybe then, maybe then we can develop the mindset the Apostle Paul had when he said, I count all things but loss for the excellency of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. And that would be a way, wouldn't it? That would be a way to deal with something this story throws up that you might not have really faced before. But whatever he asks of you and me, there is built into it a guarantee. Eternal life, heaven. And if you will follow me, Jesus says, if you will follow me, whatever it means or may mean, at the end of it is eternal life. So the great question for us this morning to go away with is just this. Will you follow him, the Lord Jesus, to glory? Will you follow him? Amen.